0: Metaphor that allows us to tell stories about the human condition. Isaac Asimov once said individual science fiction stories may seem as trivial as ever to the blinder critics and philosophers of today. But the core of science fiction, its essence, has become crucial to our salvation. Tell me how many lights you see.
1: There! Yeah. Oh. lights!
2: This is how liberty
3: dies, My thunderous applause. Game over, man.
1: Game over. Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Scott Herzog.
2: And
3: good evening. I'm Miles P. McLaughlin.
2: I'm Chrissy Raffensperger.
3: And I'm Dave Sellers.
1: And we are, we are happy to be back here at the Sci-Fi Diner recording tonight and um, wow we just got off and I know this is kind of reverse, but we have an awesome awesome interview for you guys tonight uh, tuning into the diner something we've never actually ever had on the diner Miles we never had anyone that did miniatures or wrote D&D scripts or anything like that right?
3: I don't think we've ever talked to anybody who specialized in that like this guy like does and uh, it's, it's pretty cool he gets to you know He's one of those fortunate people that get to um, make a living doing what they love.
1: Yeah, doing uh, nerd work, and that's awesome. That is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, and and that was lined up, Chrissy. You, you just like it was just happenstance that you ran into them.
2: Yeah, I, it really was just serendipitous at, at the time. I. You know, but I also find that when I go out and about, for some reason I just have like this nerd sense and I can like like I f- my people are about and then I like just you know line right. to them because so, so, so that is my you're, nature.
1: Your nerd radar is up, basically.
2: Yes. It's like Yes, I will like, Ooh, find Ooh. you and we will be friends.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well that's how you found the show, right? You come in for an interview for my wife's company and it's like, so let's talk about Firefly you know. <laughs> <laughs> kind of out of the blue
2: somehow i ended up telling your wife about the fact i play world of warcraft i think it was because my professional email wasn't working so like i have my my professional email and my personal email and they're linked and for some reason the emails weren't going through to the linked account and so i had to explain to her that i'm going to have to give her my alternative email and then when i said the email she was like that's some weird like fantasy thing and i was like well he, yes and then he got to talking and then luckily for me her husband was a huge is a huge nerd yeah. so it was like a t- axe on yeah, that but like, i was just like, like oh great
1: yeah, um, yeah, you know, no no it was actually probably an asset i'm like oh you gotta hire her now so <laughs> <but that's awesome. laughs> uh, well let's yeah. go into uh so we'll get the story later of how you met this man. And and if not, if your computer cuts out or what we'll do it, I know we do it in the, when we interview him as well. So, Um, but let's find out a little bit about what's going on in our sci-fi world. Uh, What's making us come alive in the world of sci-fi. There's been so many new shows coming down the pike and, um, and uh, what are we watching? What are we reading? Go from there. Chrissy, why don't you start us out?
2: Um, so I'm not sure if I shared that I was rereading the Miss series from the CD from the game. I'm not sure if I shared that I did that um, previously. I couldn't remember, but I, I did finish rereading them. Um, and then I also watched some WandaVision. People were telling me that it was very like trauma based, which of course like is my is my thing. If it's if anything psychological is going on in a show, I want to see it i want to be there and i just saw a really phenomenal job with um Ooh, with those hardcover books they're
1: yeah, the hardcover mess. um and you, you should look at these chrissy i know i'm interrupting yourself but look look at, this, <laughs> look at the coloring there's like oranges and reds you'll have to look at them sometime when you come over
2: i i will have to look at them yeah. um i'm actually thinking about like replaying the game because i just oh, want to the story is um, so
1: good so anyways go ahead
2: they, they are pretty good um so yeah just really like the depiction of the stages of grief and trauma in in wandavision i thought they did a pretty good job with that so that has been um my sci-fi world for a little bit
1: you know there are worse ways to spend your sci-fi world so, are there
2: you- are. Oh, I did rewatch um, the Avengers movie, but then I kept getting distracted by the amount of tax dollars that was that I was watching, like go out the window. Probably <laughs> 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 because I've been paying attention to the infrastructure bill that they've been arguing about. I feel like all year in in the Senate. Um, so I just was thinking, oh, infrastructure. All those tax dollars. I wonder how many trillions of dollars of damage that's done in that. Should they are these building insured? Like, does Tony Stark have to insure his buildings like against alien invasions? Like, how does that work?
1: Maybe, maybe they view active I don't know.
2: Uh, you know <laughs> what? I think any damage that Thor does should be covered under Act of God. Exactly. He's that's what he is.
1: Exactly. Done. He is a god after all.
2: Oh. So That was to crash the whole insurance. Guy. Now I'm like, I'm thinking about the ramifications of superheroes destroying cities. We should not cities, get you know, started, it's... and
1: we'll never get a word in. Edgewise. Uh, <laughs> this is true. This is true. <laughs> but, yeah. Very good, uh, Miles. Why don't you go next? Tell us a little bit about what is going on in that sci-fi world of yours.
3: Yeah, so I am enjoying and I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right uh, La Brea on NBC. We're going to talk a little about the show more. Uh, I'm also enjoying The Last Man on Hulu. It's basically about apocalypse where all the men not just all the men in the world die, but all the males animals also die. And so it's an interesting exploration of what what might happen if that. And um, of course there is one Young man and his monkey that survived this apocalypse, and uh, um, uh, there's a movement try to get him to some scientists to, to see if they can learn from this and try to, you know, move forward from this this disaster. Um, watching Star Trek: Lower Decks. Um, watching Titans on uh, on HBO Max. There was a space battleship Yamato. Um, done Done. sometime 10-15 years ago I think it was supposed to be like a sequel to and it was never released but they actually somehow dropped on YouTube and so so I watched that, this was Space Battle Should Be Model Resurrection and I'm reading the uh, Star Trek uh, Next Generation novel uh, Coda Part 1 uh, by Dayton Ward right now
1: Awesome, awesome So you want to talk about La Brea a little bit later on? Yes Alright. We can do that Dave, what's going on in that sci-fi world of yours?
0: Uh very little, unfortunately. <laughs> um I am in the started the... Yeah, it is unfortunate. <laughs> I gotta do something about that. Um I biggest thing is I guess I started the third book out of five of the the Firefly series, novel series on Audible. Um this is called The Ghost Machine. Uh the previous two were big damn hero and magnificent nine, and they were—if you're—if you're a Firefly player, Firefly Firefly fan, God, um, they are really, really good, really good. I, I highly recommend them. Um, it's funny, even just listening to somebody narrate it, or even reading the print of a book, you hear everything's in their voices when you hear them talk, and it's—it's it's really. They're, they're really well done so far. Um, keep it up to date every week with uh, Lower Decks. Still just love that show. Um, that's really been about it. Life unfortunately gets in the way and keeps things busy enough that I don't get to delve into too much. But battles probably soon change, especially after a uh, conversation we have with this guy. This interview that you're going to hear in
1: a little bit, I like think I'm getting a new hobby.
0: we'll, we'll
1: see. <laughs> it's, it's really not unrelated to your love of of games. Period. You know, it's really no, not about.
0: at all. It'll just amplify it more.
1: That thing you know. Next thing you know, we'll have to uh, start uh, a D and D campaign that we meet monthly for David.
0: Yeah. Yeah, or a GoFundMe account for myself.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, there you go. Yeah. So my sci-fi world. The um, what am I doing in my sci-fi world? I am continuing to watch, um, pretty well up to date with What If, and been enjoying What If. I did not watch this week's yet, which dropped yesterday, but been enjoying the fact that they're getting actors back that have done these roles to voice these roles and really enjoying that. I'm up to date on the, the foundation series on Apple TV plus um, enjoying seeing Jared Harris do his thing as the guy that creates um, psycho history. Um, and yeah, um, and really, and I'm enjoying it. It's an interesting premise and a mystery. And I'm probably into it more because I read all the books and own all the books on some form up in the attic somewhere. And so really, really am uh, appreciating that. I am partway through the uh, first book in the Wheel of Time series. I read the prequel. And now I'm on the first book because Amazon's supposed to drop that sometime in the next few weeks. And um interested in the dune movie that's dropping here in a few weeks as well, although I know tickets have been gone on sale and are pre-ordered, and I have not been one of those people that have pre-ordered them. I'll just uh I'm not I don't know my life is kind of crazy and chaotic, and I'm not necessarily uh looking to add to that chaos so but yeah, so that's uh I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Um, had a uh, birthday soiree this past weekend that was sci-fi themed so I guess that's in my sci-fi world as well that was fun a lot of sci-fi music it was um, including uh, our favorite song <laughs> it's been a long <laughs> road <run. laughs> oh, oh man so yeah so, lost Chris uh, unfortunately see that's why she dropped out of the call she knew I was going to say that she, she, knew knew it it, she knew it was coming so that's That's really been uh, the sci-fi world. Um, Other than that, around sci-fi, I am still um, involved with the eSports League of Legends. We had our first loss this week. Uh, And um, it was a good learning experience for the team. And uh, running our anime club, Uh, Dave, you were kind kind enough to lend me that extension cord. And I don't know if you were hearing you could hear them where you were sitting, but they were up yelling and engaged with what was on that screen. It was really fun to see. That's great. So That's great. um, And it's really interesting. We don't often talk about issues like race and societal stuff uh, too closely. Sometimes we do. Um, But this is the first year um, that we have a majority of my club is like non-white. And it's great to see because typically – It's been more, uh, you know, I've always built this club because I want to reach the people that are kind of unengaged with the school. You know, how can we get these people together and engage them in what we're doing? And we have a huge non-white culture that's a part that's gotten into anime, and I bet there's a study there somewhere, but it's just fantastic to have them in because they're so energetic. And we just opened up the Discord for the group, and the Discord is just blowing up. I can't keep up on it. So I love the fact that community is not just happening at our one little half an hour club time, but is building online. So
0: that's terrific.
1: Yep. Cool. Yep. So that is that is that is cool. Yeah. All right. So Miles, why don't you uh, lead us into uh, just a few points because we don't. I want to be wrapped up here by eight thirty. So just a few things that you have in your show notes that you want to talk about.
3: So the description of Brea is a, a massive sinkhole mysteriously opens up in Los Angeles, separating part of a family in an unexplainable primeval world alongside a disparate group of strangers. Uh, it's so it's a cool time travel story. You have um, you have saber toothed tigers. You have um, you, you saw a, a caveman in the distance. Um, a primitive, you know, a primitive man. I don't know, we'll call him caveman is the right thing, but uh, we don't know anything about him yet. But um, but all, all these people dropped from from this called to um, 10,000 BC, uh, Los Angeles, California, and they're just trying to survive and try to figure out what's going on. You have the, like I said, it, was, it, it separates the the. The mother and the son from the uh, the father and the daughter and um, the uh, they're trying to figure out what's going on and trying to figure out if they if they can uh, rescue these people, but uh, it, you have these prehistoric birds flying out of this hole, so it's like uh, there, there's no way that. government kind of spin it it's like okay there's something there's there's something really weird going on here um and it's near these La Brea tar pits which is a real thing which is kind of cool they're using something real and use that kind of springboard into something um to to tell a good sci-fi story good so i've seen i've seen the both episodes have either of you seen it yet
1: i have not no no i knew it was on the radar i kind of wanted to see it but I was worried a little bit that it was like campy sci-fi, but it doesn't sound like it's coming off that way.
3: No, and I I think that there's some really good character uh, moments with these people, and uh, it's... I'm sorry, Chrissy's gone, because one of the characters is this... um, uh, He's a psychologist, therapist, but he's going through his own problems, and he's been he has he, been suicidal. He brought a gun with him, and the gun that he was going to use to probably kill himself. Well, he's using that to, um, you know, protect protect him and protect some of these people. So uh, I think there's I think there's some interesting characters in this show, and um, I, I, I so yeah. I mean, it has, I mean, it's a very sci-fi premise, but I think it's also there, there should be some good character moments along the way.
1: So, how many? Uh, I noticed as I'm looking down through the list here that a lot of these uh, actors are cast for five episodes. Is it only a five episode series?
3: That I don't know. I hope it's longer. Um, I just I, I copy and paste that from uh, IMDb. I, I hope it's going to be a longer season than that. Um, but uh, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll see.
0: Right, right.
3: But I'm really <laughs> impressed with what I've seen so far.
0: Cool. It is an interesting premise, where they, well, they fall through a sinkhole, and they're back in pre-man days, huh?
3: 10,000 right. BC, they, fig- they figure out how far, uh, they, they, they do some carbon dating on something, uh, a, a modern artifact that ends up in, uh, well, some of see, like this guy finds his, his, his wife's wedding ring, you know, it's like, how, you know, and then they carbon date as, like, it's 10,000 BC.
0: Interesting.
3: Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, so, yeah, it's a good time, like I said, it's good time travel. I mean, it's, it's a big time warp opens up in this in Los, Los Angeles and everything, cars fall through, buildings fall through. So they, these people have some things they need to survive with, um, but otherwise they're going to be a fish out of water in many other areas. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah.
1: Yeah, so it's a 10-episode season. Okay. Yeah, 10 episodes.
3: So I'm, I'm hoping... You know, I, I mean, it's hard, you know, I've seen the first two episodes, two episodes are good. I don't know if they're thinking, okay, maybe this is a one season thing. If it is, hopefully whatever they do, they they try to wrap it up well if if it ends up being that way. I hate to see it end on a cliffhanger.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, sounds well, yeah it sounds interesting. Yep. <laughs> Well, we're gonna hold the. Uh, I, I saw you had the Dune trailer out, but uh, and also the Resident Evil trailer, which just dropped. And um, I'm gonna hold talking about D- Dune's out so soon from here. We'll hold the trailer till we actually see the movie. Maybe just talk about that and the Resident Evil trailer. We'll wait till maybe the next time to share, just so that we can keep stuff moving. Is that all right?
3: That's 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 all right. That's
1: yeah, fine. Absolutely, and by then, hopefully, we will have uh, maybe all seen La Brea and give our own two thoughts on it.
3: Yeah, I'd be curious what you guys think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I can see why it's in your wheelhouse, especially with a little bit of time travel going on.
3: Yeah, the time travel definitely got me there, but it, it's telling—you know—it's actually telling some good character stories with these people. So I, I want to know what's going to happen with them.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, very good. I appreciate you sharing about it.
3: My pleasure. Yeah.
1: Well, all right. So what we're gonna do here is we're gonna go into our interview with Joseph Seawolf, who Chrissy met at a airport just in passing. You'll hear that story in the interview. Um, but I think what's unique, Miles and Dave, about this guy is this is the first guy we've had on to talk about miniatures and has dealt with the D and D world.
0: Yes indeed. Yes indeed. good thing to
1: add yeah it's a good thing to add to our repertoire and it was nice to have someone on we haven't interviewed someone like that i mean i guess it's a part of our pilots we did but we haven't interviewed someone like that and so that's pretty awesome so yeah all right well i think without further ado let's go ahead and uh and share this interview Welcome to the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. Tonight we have a fantastic show for you. And uh, we have a special guest joining us just to tell a little bit about his work in the science fiction fantasy world that we all kind of uh, live in here. It's the Sci-Fi Diner Podcast. And to kind of introduce him, I'm going to have our good co-host Chrissy tell about him and how she encountered this man in kind of a uh, weird way. Go ahead, Chrissy.
2: So I was sitting at the airport waiting for a um, connecting flight. So I was flying from Michigan back to Pennsylvania. um, And I was just reading my book. And then I happened to overhear this conversation of, oh, that's a really nice shirt. And then going back and forth about tabletop games. And, of course, my ears, for whatever reason, perked up. And I was like, fellow nerds. Where? <laughs> so then, of course, I moved and sat down and, and started talking with them very, very briefly um, before my, my flight was called. And then, of course, I had to get on and get with um back to PA. So the, the moral of the story is wear your nerd shirts p- proudly because yes. you will make friends. That's
1: right. That's right. <laughs> so that's kind of a serendipitous uh, kind of encounter in the middle of Michigan. That's awesome. So. Joseph, uh welcome first of all to the Sci-Fi Diner podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on. And uh tell us a little bit about who you are in the world of science fiction. What um what kind of uh what what your what's your jam? What do you what what kind of brings you
4: here? Um well, first of all, my name is Joseph Seawolf. Um that's the writing name. That's my real name too. Um I am Reaper Miniatures Head Writer, so for those of you who like to push metal and plastic around battle mats and engage in war games and RPGs, um, we make a lot of the really cool toys. Ooh. Um, they hired a writer, obviously, for, for, for reasons, um, and let's just say we have a bunch of text coming out pretty soon. Um, as for what I'm into, I'm into exotic reptiles, I keep carnivorous plants because I like to be that extra creepy kid. <laughs> I love role playing games and painting miniatures. Um, I've been building models since I was a little kid. Just, just a huge nerd right from the get go.
1: And do you you paint your own miniatures then and everything?
4: Yeah, I couldn't work for miniature come if I didn't paint my own. Yes,
1: yeah. you know, you look at them, and uh, some of those miniatures are incredibly detailed, like uh, like Holy for how small they are. And uh, I want to ask you, great. I, I want to ask you more about that in just a little bit. Sure.
4: But Well, the thing about miniatures is it's changing a lot, and there's a ton of people that are now sculpting uh, because you can get Blender for free, download, and um, ZBrush, and there's a lot of incredibly talented sculptors out there who are just doing Patreons and are producing amazing stuff that you can 3D print at home.
1: That's awesome. That is awesome. That's mm-hmm. so, cool. Yeah, so let's back up a little bit in your story and tell us a little bit about how you got into this world of – Uh, It's really two worlds. We're talking about uh, the miniatures and regarding the game, but also writing in general. Maybe the two go hand in hand for you. So tell us a little bit about the journey of how you got to be, you know, writing and how you got to be uh, so involved with miniatures.
4: Oh, man. Well, remember, I'm ancient. I'm 50 years old, so I've been doing this stuff.
1: For a long time. <laughs> Dave, don't look at me. Don't look at me, Dave.
4: <laughs> You're ancient, Scott. You're ancient.
1: <laughs> being you guys, at got my 50th that. birthday just this past know. week. but Go ahead. Okay,
4: so uh, the long and the short of it basically is is that, you know, I was that kid that was watching Star Trek, and I was four or five years old when Star Wars, the commercials came on to NBC, and I lost my, my crap, you know, watching this commercial four or five times. Battlestar Galactica and, you know, just it basically, I love animation as well. And so like the Herculoids and, you know, um, space ghost. And so basically I was just right from the get go. I just love science fiction and fantasy. And for whatever reason it clicks, some people does, some people doesn't. And, um, flash forward to 10 years old and I was in the, I don't know, third grade or whatever. And, um, and there was a dynamite magazine floating around the, the classroom and it had an article on D and D uh, and interestingly I have an original magazine actually framed up that actually is open to the first two pages of that illustrious magazine that had an article about D and and miniatures and everything else. And this isn't a copy. This is actually the real, this is not not the exact magazine that I had since the third grade. But anyways, it hangs on my wall as a reminder of where it all kind of sort of came from. That's awesome. And reading this, for whatever reason, it just said, you need to do this. You're not reading about Greek mythology. You're playing in it. You're not reading Lord of the Rings. You're playing in it. And the game mastery part of it really clipped in my head. And for the next two years, I was pestering my mother constantly to get me my own rule set because I didn't know anybody. Most people come into gaming from an older brother or a sibling, or they go away to camp and they meet somebody and they learn firsthand. I only read about it, and um, for whatever reason, it just it's stuck. And being an obsessive compulsive, a little bit. Uh, my mom listened, and she, you know, in spite of some misgivings, because the whole satanic panic was going on. Oh yeah. She uh, she sprang for that. Moldvay box set uh which looks a little something like that and um and got me my first set and um it just it clicked i didn't actually play it for a year or two um and then robbie matthews ran me through ADD. so my first exposure was basic dnd but i played my first DND game sinister secret assault marsh and um Robbie Matthews was totally cool for one or two sessions, and then he brought his friend in because he was a little older, and uh, they mistreated the the snot nosed kid who was at the table, and uh, they played a bunch of really silly games with me, and they were pretty rude, and they made me so mad that uh, we had a huge blow up at school about it at me at the me at the table in the cafeteria, and they had they informed me unceremoniously that my character had been killed off screen while they were playing.
0: <laughs> and
4: in my character sheet—they could loot my body. And uh, needless to say, I didn't take this particularly well because I'm built like Shrek. I've always had them. And um and so uh, I was screaming in his face. And I discovered at that moment that I was going to be a game master, and I would never mistreat my players ever. That's awesome. And as a result, uh, within six months, I was already running my game. I had a little club. And I've been doing it nonstop pretty much. To, uh, I'll be 51 in January.
0: Wow. Nice. It's amazing. That is- I'm glad that that, that, uh, that experience didn't drive you away from it. No way. It actually, the way it drove you even deeper in. That, that, that's amazing.
4: Yeah, it was it was one of those painful little moments. I mean, I I remember the smell of the uh, I remember the smell of the green beans I was eating before before the altar. Took oh. me. And uh, the the two the two uh, the two lunch ladies were concerned that, that they weren't going to be strong enough to peel me away from him if I turned violent.
0: And I was angry.
4: <laughs> I was so angry because it was, just, it was raw, man. They were playing with and I've been you know trying to get a game going with them again, and they were like, "Oh no, your character died off screen, so we need your." Then they ask me need your character sheets so we can loot the body. <laughs> <Unbelievable>. <laughs> That's cold. Yeah, that is, cold.
1: Cold. That, that is very cold. cold. That is very cold. But That's a cold. great
4: example of how not to treat your players. Right. It's a great example.
1: Yeah. yeah. So, you know, when you look at D&D, what, what was a hook for you? What was the, what about D&D? I mean, obviously the mythology, the... The playing in that sandbox but what is it about D that really drove you to get it for a year wait and then play like what what was the thing that hooked you
4: i honestly didn't know until i played my first game and then <clears throat> the interface between the player and the game master was so intimate you know you're explaining what you want to have happen and you're rolling dice and then there are results I think it's the uncertainty of it all. You don't really know what's going to happen. Even as a game master, you can front load a scenario with, you know, to be either really easy or really hard. And in gameplay, it could turn out completely different because the player really rolls poorly or the bad guys rolls really well, or the player rolls really great. And the bad guy rolls crappy. You never really know what's going to happen. And you have such limitless possibilities and, and there are so many amazing, not just d and out there. I mean, d and is just the grandfather, right? But Tunnels and Trolls and RuneQuests and Rollmaster. There's so many amazing games out there. Um, you know, it's, it, each one offers very different experiences and appeals to different people. Um, but they all offer the same what if. What if I was a mighty thewed barbarian in sandals, you know, wandering across Hyboria, slaying evil wizards from Stygia? You know, what if I'm a space, like space marine fighting, you know, in the grim, dark wastelands of 40K? All of these games offer those same experiences and that they are completely impossible to capture again. Like you could play the same scenario 10 times, it'll turn out 10 different ways. It's just like theater, it's living. And I love that. It's mm-hmm. awesome.
1: Yeah. Also, also, awesome. also, also very social because there's that interaction. Yeah. It's very much. A social experience and connects. I think in some ways connects people that um, you know don't always maybe fit in with what you would call the 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 it crowd. Although D and D, as I look at my, so I'm a school teacher, and we have a and D club at school, and you'd be amazed at the amount of. People you wouldn't expect. It used to be, it used to be, you know, the classic nerd, the more reclusive students that you saw kind of get into that, and you know, many of us were in those veins too. But the, but now you see, there are some people that you look, well, these people are kind of mainstream, and it, uh it's kind of, there's been a resurgence, in in my opinion. I've heard more about it in the past couple of years than I have in a while.
4: The minute Vin Diesel came out and talking on the Colbert Show about you know, his games and Conan O'Brien, you know, ribbed him a little bit and he got, he, he was cool about it, but it was pretty obvious that he didn't like being, you know, messed with, especially about something that was so personal. Yeah. Um, he's got the name of one of his characters across his belly. You know, um, that's pretty devoted. <laughs>
1: that is pretty that's devoted. Awesome. Yeah.
4: Yeah.
1: yeah. So tell us a little bit about the, uh, uh, your writing. So you, you got it. You obviously that got you into D and D. I mean, creating scenarios, obviously you see the creative part. Is that what threw you into writing or did writing come at a, from a different angle?
4: Uh, as a game master, unless you're reading, unless you're running somebody else's scenarios, you're a writer. You have to be, you know, and and there's all different levels and all different kinds of game mastery. It's not a single, are you good? Or are you, are you crappy? It's, there's a lot to it. And so writing just is a natural extension of being a game master, but, Um, I've always been a fairly good public speaker, I guess. Um, and, uh, my teachers in spite of my grades always said I was very expressive in my writing. So it just kind of sort of came late. Um, I had no intention. There wasn't full sale when I was going to, when I was going to college 500 million years ago. Um, and, uh, so the idea of becoming a writer for TSR, that was, that was, that was more mythological than a dragon, man. Um, (laughs) So, but, uh, I happened to be at the right time at the right place. Um, my roommates were hooked into a a game group that went to Gen Con every year and, um, things completely just fell apart, uh, by, by luck or or ill fortune. And, um, I happened to ask the right people the right questions. And next thing you know, I was working um, outside the castle running dragon dice demos at Gen Con. And that was back in Milwaukee days. And, um, That led to me making friends with a number of people, Um, and every year they had me back, and I made more and more friends. And eventually, they gave me an opportunity to actually write a modest adventure in support of like an Adventurers League for AD&D Second Ed, and um, pretty well received. I made a bunch of mistakes in it. I mean, things that I ultimately took a couple more projects before I learned. Um, But then they called me up one day and they said, "Well, would you like to write something more more significant?" I was like, "I'd love to," and they had me write Skullport. Uh, for Underground, the expansion, the Underground City, and uh, that's Ed Greenwood and Stephen Shen. Uh, that was their baby, and to be able to play in their sandbox was an
0: incredible
4: opportunity. And it was the wrong project for me because I was completely in over my head, and I made so many rookie mistakes. And um, but it came out; it's people still love the, still love it, and it's interesting to see. My writing continued to appear in Wizards of the Coast fourth edition, fifth edition, and I'll probably see some Skullport references in whatever five point five turns out to be. Mm. Um, then I started writing. I started asking around. Got enough confidence and um, started submitting some stuff. The game called Deadlands came out from Shane Hensley's Pinnacle Entertainment Group, which was a Wild West fantasy game. So you know zombies and werewolves in the old west, and um, loved it. Absolutely lightning in a bottle of that and um they let me write a couple little things and um i wrote an adventure or two and i wrote some monsters and kind of got hooked in with them um with the they were partnered with aeg i wrote a little tiny little bit for uh legend of the five rings which is their fantasy japan setting um and then it just kind of sort of you know, Snowball, I just started submitting my little things here and there to other companies, and I wrote for Blood of Heroes, which was a Pulsar Games superhero game using Mayfair's game system that um, used to power DC role-playing game. Um, and uh, the real break happened in 96 when I was working at a hobby shop, because all of this was just a hobby, right? Just a little writing here or there, and I wasn't sustaining myself on it. And um, the, the kind folks at uh, Reaper Miniatures... Um, Ron Hawkins, uh, who is their head of creative there, um, was kind enough to, to take my phone call. Cause I was calling from the hobby shop I worked at in Kalamazoo and, um, and said, Hey, we were getting more of your stuff in. We really love it. And we've got your game in. And, um, I'm wondering, I mean, are you looking for anyone to do any freelance writing for your world? And, um, flash forward a long time many Reaper cons later, um, cause they had me write and run all their adventures for the last, since 2012, I think. And, um, uh, they had me write supplemental material in their casket works magazine and, um, it just kind of all snowballed. And this last April, um, uh, after we put out a bunch of material in support of Reaper con and whatnot, um, I, they were very kind and they, they, tendered an option an offer for me to join the the staff full time as um their head writer and uh so i've been doing design and development and a lot of writing a lot of writing (laughs) um getting caught up on all of the material we've been developing since like 2012 and um now we have a huge amount of material that we're putting together and we're refining it and um you know, maybe we'll see. Maybe we'll see it in print soon.
1: That would be awesome. That would be awesome. So ReaperCon, Con—that is a con for fans of—is—is—is is, is re- so. You know, I'm familiar with D and D. Play D and D, but Reaper itself—is that—is that a game or is it a company? I mean, like Blizzard. I mean, what's?
4: No, no Reaper is a um, is a uh, hardcore miniatures company. Reaper okay, make the dragons and the orcs and robots will use in their role-playing games okay. and in their board games and in their war games we <laughs> have produced uh, a few games prior to this we're not we're not new to publishing um, we have published uh, our first publication was in I think 2000 and, no it was 98 I think is when we produced um, dark heaven apocalypse and um, apocalypse was a box set which had a couple miniatures and they had a rule set and, and it also had um, a rather robust setting tucked into in the war game. And um, since then we produced a couple editions of warlord, which was a refined version of the war game rules. We produced uh, a science fiction game called CAV combat assault vehicle, which was, it was in the vein of, of battle tech. So big war machines beating the crap out of each other on a future battlefield. Um, and then we even produced a, a, an RPG, an actual RPG called the eldest son uh, for the world's most popular tabletop role-playing game, D and D, back when D twenty was super hot, um, and uh, so yeah, there's we, we've been a game company for quite a while, but after you know putting a lot of focus on the miniatures, miniatures of course are always first, um, but now it's we're in a good position where it's it's time to start doing something more significant with that. So we produced the lovers Guides uh, for the last um, three years because we didn't have a Reapercon last year. Um, we produced uh, two 48-page little little setting guides, which are system-neutral, there's no game mechanics, and um, on the Landlubber's Guides to Brinewind and the Landlubber's Guides um, to Savage Coast, which is a fantasy um, 16th, 17th century-ish, um, uh, basically Barbary Coast. So, you know, ancient ruins and savage natives and, um, you know, krakens and all that other stuff. And, of course, you know, tall-masted ships. Um, so, uh, we've been able to grow, um, a very, uh, a very, um, supportive fan base that loves what we're doing. And we did four years in one setting called Dreadmere, which was, if you can imagine a vast bayou, like swamp with a huge number of ruins, an above ground dungeon, basically scattered throughout. And then there's a small town in the middle of it that basically acts as kind of like a haven where people, where the adventurers can go out get the goodies, fight monsters, and then run back home to home base and then spend the loot. And then the following day, go off and rinse repeat. So we actually have a lot of stuff. The, the, the campaign world is, is, is very interesting. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of cool stuff in it.
1: Good. Chrissy. I know this is really, uh, your world, especially this is, um, that's something that you've delved into. Have you delved into any of the games or do you have any questions? I mean,
2: um, no, I I don't have, I think you asked a lot of the questions that I had, Um, Scott, it was just definitely one of those things where I overheard him talking and I was like, I gotta talk to this guy and see if I can't, you know, get him on because I just think that it would be really interesting because we have, you know, we've had people from like, you know, anthropologists and, you know, people from different shows and movies and stuff, but I don't know that we've done a whole lot with games, and I thought that would be a real fun thing. to Espe-
1: pull in. Especially D and D style games, certainly not. So uh, yeah, yes, so, just yeah, Dave.
0: I, I have questions. I'm on, so I'm on ReaperMini.com. I'm looking through a lot of the miniatures on here. These things are really, really cool looking. I mean, the metal <laughs> ones here are are really detailed, really neat.
1: Spend some, money, some... Spend some money, Dave.
0: Spend some money. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm I'm keeping my hand off the mouse for a
1: little
0: bit. So. <laughs> Be careful, man. Just, Be careful. Once just, you start, just once leave you
1: start, it in your you will And then
0: bring your wife down
2: later and say, "Honey, just hit this. Christmas for me is done. There you go. See? Done,
1: done. No,
0: no, 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 no. That, that will not go the way you think
1: that will
0: go. Yeah. Well, um, I oh, oh man. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, anyway if someone Dave. did that for
2: me i'd be like thank god christmas done
0: so yeah. th- th- these things have have it's always fascinated me i've always loved like d and those kinds of games never got to play it much and never really invested a lot of the time and and really resources into doing it because mainly I don't like playing with plain gray plastic pieces. I am not the most artistic uh, of a human being. My sister got all of those genes, unfortunately. But it is something I have always wanted to get into. So if someone Yeah, what would be the best entryway into learning how to paint this stuff properly boy do
4: i have a sales pitch for you
1: (laughs) finger on the button dave finger (laughs) on the button (laughs) okay
4: so here's the deal man um we have we employ some of the most top-notch miniature painters on the planet and some of those painters have lent uh, to producing these beautifully set up kits called Learn to Paint. And we have two different versions. It is several high quality Sable paint brushes. It's the same paint that we sell and manufacture. And it includes incredibly detailed instructions by very skilled painters like Rhonda Bender and Michael Proctor. And they literally walk you through the entire process. And the box comes with miniatures, so you literally take it out, open the little booklet up that comes with it, and start painting. It is I'm that scared. you're going to make a sale. Look at his it face. Look at his it. face. And it comes and it comes with a nice box to store it all in.
1: And
0: they're cheap as anything. Oh no. <laughs> well, yep.
4: There are miniatures for all price ranges. We have the bones line, which are softer plastic, but it's great for uh, the budget miniature painter who wants to just have like a bunch of, you need to buy a bunch of orcs or a bunch of goblins or whatever. They're, they're a great way to buy a bunch of figures, very inexpensively. Then there's the step up, which are like the bones black and they're, they're almost as quality as the metal, right? And uh, they're, they're plastic. They're made out of a higher quality plastic. And then the step above that is the actual metal range, the metal ranges. And um that's where you get the really nice crisp detail. But what's cool is we offer many figures in all the lines. So you basically can kind of pick how you want to get involved. You can basically field an entire dungeon worth of monsters with with you know with bones for maybe 30, 40 bucks. I mean not a mega dungeon, <laughs> but like one level. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay. Learn to paint. Hey. I, I see the learn to paint kits here on the site. <laughs>
4: Mm -hmm. oh boy okay i know what i'm getting for christmas
1: there you go free
4: ship buy both there's two sets there's a basic colors and then there's i think a shading one um and get both and what happens is do the first one then do the second one and you have all you have a ton of colors and a bunch of good paints and a bunch of good brushes so and you also get free shipping if you spend i don't know how much it is it's over like 30 40 bucks so you buy both kits and you get free shipping.
1: You know, you, Dave, you Dave, you know you need to decorate that new basement you're building with some miniatures. Hell
0: Take yeah.
4: it in the garage. <laughs> Keep it out of
1: my wife's sight uh, Yeah, well, yeah, painting in the garage yeah. might be best.
4: If you are yeah. setting up a basement, you need to set yourself up with... A really nice paint table like what I got going on over here. That way, you lay out your paints, you lay out your miniatures, and you never have to put them away. You can sit down at a moment's notice, you know, get out your paintbrush, do some details, and then go off. Uh, you know, d- the d- don't you have a child?
2: I don't way. see that ending well with a child. No,
0: you gotta put a fence around it. Sure
4: how to do it. To
1: yeah, electric fence around oh, it, Dave. Well,
4: that's parenting there done go. right then. Get the kid and put an electric fence around it.
1: Yeah. Give her, give, give give her, give her, her a problems. shot. Give her a shot collar so that she gets near. <clears throat> <clears throat> just kidding. There you go. <laughs> yeah.
2: As, you do as is a, as, you as as a f- former family therapist, I did not just hear that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I figured yeah, that would go. That be...
4: modern solutions. Um, but the
1: thing
0: mm-hmm.
4: with the painting stuff is that you can. there are so many quality uh, YouTube videos and there are so many really talented painters That are doing in Reaper. We have regular Twitch streams where we walk people through processes and whatnot. And if you want a more intimate sit down with the actual artist, ReaperCon has classes where you can schedule time with like 10 or 20 other painters and you sit down with the actual sculptor or painter and they walk you through more in depth versions of color theory and blending and flesh tones and transparency and simulating like actual real like fur and things like that. It's, it's really, it's really cool. Reaper a good time. But YouTube, is really invaluable.
1: Yeah. And where's we, where's Reaper held?
4: It is in Texas every year. Um, I think it's in Denton or Louisville. I can never remember. I just get dropped off at the, at the, at the hotel. I run my games nonstop. And then they get picked me up again and I go back to the airport and I fly back home. So, so um, there's, yeah, there's, I, I'm not that familiar with Texas, but I, I, if you look up ReaperCon, it'll, it'll, it'll give you lots of information. Yeah, if I had a link, that'd be really
1: handy. Yeah, Very good. Very
4: and we have good. it every cool. year and, and, you know, at the end of September, early October. Okay. Depending.
1: All right. Fantastic. Um, very good. So I got a, got a question for you. Do any of your reptiles make it into your games?
4: <laughs> You'd be surprised. Um. You know, it's funny is that when you when you watch because I mean, I've, I had a leopard gecko for 24 years and he was part of my life, man. I mean, that's that's a long time. Um, and uh, you you know, as, as part of the game mastering, you, you you know, there's a little narrative, right? And so you might reflect upon the movement of the animals or how they behave, et cetera, And you might reflect upon that when you give descriptions, like when a dragon like crawls down the wall behind the party and surprises them. And then snarls and growls, and then takes a chomp out of the dwarf, right? And I'm basically describing how my geckos hunt, you know. And uh, so, yeah, absolutely, I think so. Yeah. Um, actually, it's funny. Reapercon, Dreadmere, that um, that that sunk that swampy dungeonscape above ground. Right. Um, did that for four years at Reapercon. We did that four years in a row. And uh, one of the things that worked its way into the content were these pack terrapins which are just really big turtles because the swamp is rough on hoofed animals, right? So horses don't do particularly well in swampy environments for long term. Um, Neither do donkeys or anything like that. So what I reasoned out was the elves who lived in the area bred these beautiful, bigger than Galapagos Island tortoises, right? That lived in the swamps and they used them as, as companions, but also as herd beasts. So you have these, these uh, giant pack terrapins, which are as big as, VW buses and um, people ride them and they have annual races on their backs. And those are absolutely based upon uh, my tortoises that I have uh, out in the pole barn. Cause I have, I have, I have three turtles. Actually I have four turtles, three of which are tortoises, one of which is a three toed box turtle. Awesome. So yeah, they definitely make their way into
1: my They place. definitely work their definitely. way in. Oh yeah,
4: they definitely, oh, yeah, they definitely
1: yeah. do. Well, any other questions for Joseph before we uh, cut him loose here tonight? No, like, that's exactly I, what I, I was hoping. Yeah, and actually, I just have I just have two more questions for you. One, what can we be? What's coming out that you can tell us about from uh, Reaper that 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 involves that has your work coming out in the future?
4: Well, I ask the powers that be, and the powers that be say I can discuss anything that we have current we have put into print. And I can and I can also discuss uh, how things were perceived at ReaperCon and presented at ReaperCon. because I say a lot more at ReaperCon than I do in this in this uh, venue. Um, but I can say that stay tuned. Okay. They hired a writer for a reason. Right. And uh, I have been working nonstop since April. So Very good. there is a bunch of really cool stuff supporting the setting. Um, and I think the fans, fans who love old school feel, but modern mechanics are going to be very, very happy.
1: So if we want to find out this information and catch wind of the latest stuff you're releasing, where do we do that?
4: Keep, keep an eye on, keep an eye on the website. We're going to be posting a bunch of stuff here pretty soon. Yeah.
1: And uh, the website, uh, Dave, do you have that up? You have that up yet? What is it reaper.com?
0: I'm on many, many. reaper.com.
1: What is it? Reaper mini.com. Reaper, dot mini.com. All right. And that, that is, that dot just sells that as, that is the information news and everything.
4: Yeah. It all appears on the front page. Um, they already did have me publish. Oh, I can actually mention this. Um, I wrote an old SR, which stands for old school revolution. Um, it's basically earlier editions of D D. The current edition is fifth. Right. Um, and um, they've announced a 5.5, whatever they're going to call it. Um, but there, uh, there's an old school revolution is is generally first and second edition and also basic D and D, and they had me write an adventure called the. Um, uh, it stars. Oh man, it's been a while since I even thought about it. Um, but the adventure is called uh, the Vanishing Blackguard, and it has a classic blue and white map of the dungeon scape, and it has an uh, an unflappable undead knight called sir rictus the undying who hunts you throughout the adventure as you explore this ancient uh, this ancient lair and it is available on their website for free download right now
1: Ooh.
0: so if
4: you type in the vanishing blackguard you can download it for free right now
1: that's awesome awesome yeah and the landlubbers'
4: is- guides will be available here soon too those will be available either for modest per pdf or i think it might even be free i'm not sure what the plan right, is right
1: right very good well, we're, uh, we're 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 it's, it's been awesome chatting with you, Joseph, just about uh, your world and awesome. about and about D and D and about just everything that you're involved with miniatures, and um, and we look forward to seeing what um what Reaper Minis are going to be putting out.
4: Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been an honor and a privilege.